there are many indications in the Old Testament that if you were poor, then you were being cursed by God. If you were sick and chronically sick, that was a curse from God. If you lived a short life, if you were sterile or impotent, curses from God. If you had a lot of girls in your family, no boys to carry on the family name, a curse. Interesting. Then on the other hand, if you had a lot of money and were successful and prosperous and healthy and wealthy and wise and all the good things of the world, these were considered blessings from God. In other words, the outward manifestation of your body, your situation in life, the circumstances of your home and family, all of that was somehow either God's approval, blessing, or his disapproval because of some sin that either you, your family had committed and therefore a curse. And Jesus comes on the scene and in the fulfillment of the Old Testament clarifies all of this and says, no, don't judge the book by its cover because so often the poor are truly blessed and the rich are cursed. And those who live a short life sometimes in the eyes of the world actually have it better off. I know people who are over 100 years old and they're saying, Father, if God could just have taken me 20 years ago, but I have to endure this. It's interesting. Yeah. Or people that have a lot of means and things like that, but now they haven't really invested or used their resources, their money and talents properly. They've kind of squandered it and now they have nothing. I mean, the things of the world are mixed. What looks like a blessing can be a curse. What looks like a curse can be a blessing. The Lord is saying, you can't judge it by the standards of the world. I alone judge. I alone judge. And so he uses this example from the story of Lazarus, this poor man who was begging every day outside the rich man's home, just waiting for a scrap of food. But the rich man looked upon this poor Lazarus as cursed. And in that context, 2,000 years ago, the rich man was not allowed to touch him, lest he be defiled ritually, to associate with sinners. This is why in another context and throughout his life, Jesus is always associating with the sinner because he's trying to say the sinners are blessed. In the paradox of our faith, we say, oh, happy fault. Oh, necessary sin of Adam that gained for us a wonderful redeemer. Sin, in the Christian perspective, is actually an invitation to grace, to redemption. At the time of Jesus, it was, you're done. You're cursed. Go to hell. Jesus says no. So he always associates. We've been watching these days where he associates with the prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors, sinners, the Gentiles, people that were not 
Jewish at the time. Samaritans, oh my God, how dare he? Women in public, oh my God. So Jesus is really turning the tables on all of this and it's creating quite a controversy. It's gonna be part of the problem. He's establishing himself up against the religious institution and political leadership of his day. He's going to get in trouble, big time. It's gonna end there on the cross. But it won't stop him. It doesn't stop him from going to Jerusalem to proclaim something, and that is the kingdom of God is within. The kingdom of God begins within the human soul. That's where it is first established, whether rich or poor, black or white, makes no difference. For our Lord, there is no difference. There's no distinction. The human person, the individual unrepeatable reality that is you, that is I, that is each one in this world, that individual person is precious and most sacred, indeed sacred, a temple of God. And that's why we are to treat each other that way. We're to treat each other with that kind of respect and reverence and care. We know that each one of us is made in that image and likeness of God. And for that reason, we show tremendous reverence for the human person from the moment of conception to the moment of natural death because that's the image of God in our midst. That's the icon, the living presence of God in each one of us. Endowed by God, this soul of ours is just so beautiful, so precious, so unique. So it doesn't matter. We're honored today to have the Order of Malta with us. These are knights and dames who are committed to the work of serving the sick and the poor throughout the world. These are members of the Subprior of Our Lady Lourdes under the headship of Dr. Joe Metz, who is our regent. And I greet him together with Fra James Michael von Strabel and Fra Tom Mulligan, who are professed knights of justice in the order. It's a religious order, over 900 years old, and developed the first hospital in Jerusalem 900 or so years ago, and this is where we began to serve the sick and the poor. These were noble warriors, noble men and women who cared for the sick and the poor because they saw in them the image and likeness of God. They served them on their own silver platters. They served them meat. They bathed their wounds. They put them in separate beds with linens. I mean, this was an incredible hospital. They really were the first doctors deciding and discerning what was disease and what was health. The Catholic Church is very proud of its history in terms of hospitals throughout the world, catering to the sick and the poor. I think of Mother Teresa and her nuns in India where there are just scattered hundreds of thousands of people all over the roads, left to die. The state doesn't take care of them. You may say it's overwhelming, they can't. Well, Mother Teresa's nuns do, others do. They bring them in, they bathe them, they pray with them, and allow them to die with dignity. Now we have a very proud history, and yet the challenge is always there before each one of us because there is always some Lazarus in our life. Now the choice is ours because there are more than one Lazarus out there. Not just the ones on the streets, not just the ones we think of. We think of the poor around us, poor in spirit, a poverty of affluence, a 
poverty of the soul. So many young people too, so lonely, a real poverty there, looking for love maybe in all the wrong places. Yet they're coming back to church because they have tried all those different loves and it wasn't satisfactory. And they're coming to grips with themselves and saying, I need a greater truth. I'm so poor, I need to become rich in the sight of God. And that's why we're here, to become rich in his sight. Not by the exterior book cover of our circumstance of life, but because we're all poor, we're all sinners. He has come for the sinner, not the self-righteous. For you and for all, so that sins may be forgiven. This is the great act of his love, the great act of his mercy for us, who sees in us the image and likeness of himself. So, as he gives us his body and blood once again, so we are empowered by that grace to give our bodies and blood in service to each other, knowing that by doing so, somehow we are building up a little bit of the kingdom of God in our midst and recognizing that God's gift of life, God's precious gift, is no less beautiful when it is accompanied by sickness or illness, hunger or poverty, mental or physical handicaps, loneliness or old age. Indeed, at these times, life takes on extra splendor as it shows us our care, concern, and reverence. So often in and through the weakest of human vessels, God continues to reveal the power of his love the weakest of human vessels.